Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! Welcome to One Step Beyond, a fortnightly show that encourages you to take a step outside your comfort zone and enrich your life. My name is Tony Fletcher. In my professional world, I write books and articles, broadcast about, and also play music. On this show, I explore my personal passions, outdoor activities, travel, and more. And on this episode of One Step Beyond, I actually have at least three different stories of people stepping way outside their comfort zones to enrich their lives, all wrapped up in the one feature. I'm going to start with myself. As I know in the introduction you've already heard, I have another professional life outside of this podcast, and I've been fortunate to have undertaken considerable travel within the Western Hemisphere as a result of it. But there's a great big world out there. And a few years back, as I closed in on the age of 50, I realised I hadn't visited the vast majority of it. I'd never stepped foot in Africa and never stepped foot in Asia. And so, with my then wife and our then 11-year-old younger son, we decided to take a year off and backpack around the world. It was a truly magnificent experience, with almost no negative memories that followed us home. The trip was also a necessary game-changer, inspiring me to reevaluate my own life and where I wanted it to go, leading to a couple of major positive changes all around. It also encouraged me to undertake more travel, though I'd only got to Bogota, Colombia, and back to Tanzania to climb Mount Kilimanjaro before Covid hit and put a stop to those plans for the time being. So, I started this podcast which I doubt I'd have done without those worldly experiences. Now that I'm here and I hopefully have your attention, I'd like to share a story from our time in Nepal, because it forms a significant part of this particular episode. On the day that we set off on our travels, January 1st, 2016, a friend contacted my wife, Posy Strens, and said, if you get to Kathmandu, look up this woman, Beverly Bronson. She runs a home for abandoned children just outside the city, in a place called Baldanath. Beverly is incredible, we were assured. Born in Britain, officially resident in New York City, which was my life story before moving up to the Hudson Valley, but spends a lot of her time in Boulder, running this children's home that she calls Gar Sita Mutu, or in English, House with Heart. Now, I would love to have Beverly tell you herself how she came to found this amazing institution but I'm going to have to let current chairperson Colleen Boland detail the charity's origins instead. Um, Beverly Bronson, um, who is the founder of House with Heart, uh, was in Kathmandu doing some social work. And as she was about to leave a week, uh, a week out, she found two boys uh, huddled under a corrugated tin roof. And one was age five, one was age two. They were filthy. She looked around. There was no adults around them. Beverly inquired to the neighbors in broken English and said, Mom, Dad, and the neighbors said, 
gone. And they, they said, you should take them. And so she did. She put them in a hostel, came back to New York City, fundraised, went back. The boys were not thriving uh, in the hostel environment. So with the help of a dear friend of hers, Noah Faulkner, uh, and others, uh, she was able to rent a house and House with Heart doors were open. And we do call it House with Heart. It is a home for abandoned children. It is not an orphanage. Um, all the children under our care right now, which are 28 in total, um, are guard we are guardians of them. Beverly was guardians of all of them. And so, having heard this incredible story, and I hope you found that incredible as well, and because we were taking our son with us and always intended for our trip to be an educational journey. Then once we made plans to visit Nepal in March of 2016, we contacted Beverly. Now, this was less than a year after the devastating earthquake that had rocked Kathmandu, taking over 9,000 lives in one of the poorest countries in the world and rendering literally millions of people homeless. In Balda, as well as significant damage to the 14th century Buddhist stupa that's the largest and most important outside of Tibet, we found an official tent city full of homeless about to suffer through their second monsoon season. Many of the roads had not been repaired, and yet the government, which has only existed in democratic form since 2006, had opted to focus on finalising its constitution rather than working with foreign aid partners on the rebuilding. When we met Beverly in Boulder and visited House of Heart, we found that the main building there had also been badly damaged and that the younger residents, all of them girls, were now living in one room of necessity. Older school-age residents were living in tents. If anything, this only added to the positive impression of our visit, because what we saw was, under intensely difficult circumstances, a place of safety, of security, of learning and of love. There in Balda, we were thrilled to meet Babu, the younger of the two boys who Beverly initially took in. He was living in his own tent and making music with a wide array of equipment, including a laptop. Babu has subsequently left the house and he's pursuing a music career, though he got himself a culinary degree as a backup. His older brother Krishna is also a success, the manager of an Irish pub, of all things, in a rural northeastern section of the country that attracts trekkers. Trekking, so you know, is Nepal's big tourism attraction, and the eight days my family spent ascending from the city of Pokhara to Annapurna base camp and back, was some of the most peaceful and spiritually enlightening of my entire life. Trekking had been wiped out in 2015 by the earthquake, which actually swallowed up one important village whole, and has again been cancelled in 2020 by the coronavirus. Nepal knows suffering. Still, Babu and Krishna were not the only success stories, because in December 2017, I went to New York City for a day of pre-Christmas activities with my same younger son and attended the annual fundraising holiday party for House with Heart. I was really looking forward to being reunited with Beverly, but she was absent, with the onset of what turned out to be a terminal cancer. Beverly Bronson died in May 2018, auspiciously for someone known by her community as Mummy, on Mother's Day. There she is. Hello, <laughs> I must say. However, 
offsetting the enormous disappointment of her absence that December day, was the surprise and welcome presence of Manu Shrestha, one of the older residents of House with Heart. Manu was in the USA attending community college, the first from House with Heart to do so, as a precursor to a fuller American college education. And on setting up this particular show some two plus years later, it struck me that Manu's incredible life journey from the streets of Kathmandu to a college life in the USA would make for a wonderful story. It's about what happens when we put our mind to things. And it's a story that's also very much one of internationalism and of women's empowerment in patriarchal societies. I spoke with Manu by Zoom. Colleen Boland joined us. All three of us were on the East Coast in the same time zone, which didn't stop Zoom's limitations revealing themselves. I find it somewhat ironic that our increased reliance on technologies like this is actually taking us back to a pre-digital world of lo-fi audio. But as someone who grew up on scratched vinyl, worn cassette tapes and AM radio, I guess I'm used to it. So with that, I'd like to encourage you as ever, either to sit back if you're at home, or lean in if you're out for a walk, run, hike or something similar, and get ready to go. One step beyond! So Manu, could you relay to me your own personal story, how you came to be living at House With Heart, and how old you were at the time? So I was probably five or four years old. I don't have a vivid memory of my life before that. So House With Heart has been my origin, or like I feel like that's my place where I grew up. But I do have two sisters. Uh, one, one of my older sisters was probably eight at the time. And she does have a, some kind of memory about living with my mother in a small room. The floors are very dirty. And we were basically three, three sisters in the room and my mom went off to work. And she was eight, but she was looking after both of us. And I don't know how she did it, but I really don't have a memory of my mom or my dad or any of that because I was really young. And I just remember mommy. Beverly Brunchen. So that's what I call her. So if you, if you encounter mommy, then that's what I'm referring to. I don't know about like how was life, but well, my sister does say that she did remember of how she didn't, we didn't have enough food to eat or like we didn't have any toys and it was really bad condition. And my mom was very young. So she ran away after a while because that's when mommy took us in because we didn't have any other parents. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, two sisters. Was the other sister younger than you? Yes, one sister is younger than me, and one of them was older. So right. she must have been two years old, and I was four. Yeah. And how old are you? How old are you now, Manu? I am twenty-two you? years old now. Was that in Boulder that you were uh, you were found um, and taken in? Or in yeah, it was in Kathmandu. I I have a vivid memory of uh, mummy because she was in a wheelchair, and. I see this warm hug from a lady who I've never known a stranger and um, which is who's now my mommy till now. Like I've always known her as my mother and I don't know other mother than her. So she's always been a big part of my life. And Beverly, um, absolute force of nature. We were so fortunate to, to meet her and, the energy that she had um, was astonishing. And I know 
her loss is greatly felt. I, I think it's really important from the outset that you're describing her as your mummy, and that's that's true for all all the children that, that, that were taken in. This is somebody who was truly incredible, mother to many, many people. So this is a funny thing. She was not just our mummy. She was mummy for the entire community. So when people come in and she would help them without any, like she don't think about what should I help them. Like she would just do it because she thinks that's the right thing to do. So she was considered mommy for like people who was older than her. And sometimes she even commented on like, I don't want people older than me commenting and coming in and saying mommy. But she was a mommy for the whole entire community because the difference she was making in their life. Yeah, and 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 I think we, uh, Colleen, you you touched on this. It's um, because this is an incredible story about somebody making their own life change. That essentially, when she passed, it was Babu and Krishna, the two brothers on the street. She realized she actually could not walk on by. Um, that's really powerful. I think so many of us just you know we want to do something in life, and we walk on by, and or we put in a donation, and we maybe we still are thinking about it hours later, but uh, to actually be able to act on something like that and then, and then impact and make a difference and realize how you can make a difference. And I think Colleen, you knew, you knew Beverly before all of this. Is that correct? Yes. We had been friends for 25 years uh, prior to that. And um, I, I have to laugh when you say she was a force of nature. Um, oh my goodness. Is that ever a truism? I, I made the mistake of, when I found out about House with Heart of saying, what can I do to help? If you ask that question of Beverly Bronson, you had better be prepared. And within two weeks time, I had thrown a fundraiser and quit my job and was living at House with Heart for three months. You know, people are going to hear this story and it's going to sound very, uh, it's, and, and along with Babu and Krishna, it's going to sound sad and maybe even desperate about uh, mothers um, abandoning children. Um, unfortunately, I gather that's not uncommon in Nepal. And um, there must be reasons for it. And, um, you know, I think we need to just maybe be honest and say it's not totally uncommon and maybe maybe offer some explanation of, of why that, that can happen in numbers that are maybe less common in some other countries. For me personally, I believe that people like the females are married really early in their life. And they're considered in this, like a baby machine, you know, like produce a baby uh, on and on. So one of the experiences that I had was I was going to college, like I was going to high school. And I see this girl who's my age was carrying three babies and I had books and bags and like I was going to school learning and all. But she was, I looked at her and I was like, wow, what an opportunity I have. And I can like take control of my life, or, like how I'm going to live like when I'm going to have a baby or like if I'm going to marry or not but she didn't have that option like she didn't have that opportunity of saying no I don't want a baby right now or like I want to focus on my life because uh, education and lack of opportunity and lack of like knowing about different birth control pills and their their voice like the female voice are not heard like they don't have any voice in the community and I believe that's the biggest reason why there's a lot of abandoned like when they get a baby they're abandoned and, it, and they don't because I don't know like how they feel when they're abandoning the baby obviously it's a mother but I think they choose a better option so that the baby can have a better life 
I can under, I can understand that, and I think what you're inferring there, Manu, is that the father, um, whether people are married or not, often abandons the mother. That's what I'm that's what I'm gathering from what yeah. you're saying. So in Nepal, there's not a law like where if a man wants to leave their family, they can just go ahead and leave. There's no law that stopping them. Like you have to support a family, you have to give money to them. So if they choose one day, all of a sudden they said, "I don't want to be with you guys," then he can just leave. So it's all dropped down to mother and she has to take care of it. So I never have a, any image of my dad being in my part of my life. And I saw him for the first time when I was 16 or 17. And it was like a total stranger that I didn't feel comfortable with. Or like I was never connected with him in a with father relationship way. So he will always be a stranger, even though I know him now. But like he was not there for me the entire time so i don't think that i want to be in a relationship is very total strange for me right that's thank you that was that was very very well expressed you had mentioned earlier and i really didn't know this that you had been able to go back and uh to get citizenship you had to um actually trace your story back somewhat so um if i may ask i like i said i wasn't prepared to ask this does that mean that you met your mother or that you found out the story um so i did meet my mother. So my mother went up and got married to another man. She had three more kids from that man. And, um, and then those three kids are abandoned again. So I really don't respect her in a way that a child should be respecting a mother because I did forgive her for what she did to me and my sister, but I cannot keep on forgiving her what she keep on doing. Um, I did have to go trace back my mother and I had to put my father's name on my passport, which was very the saddest thing in my life because I didn't want a stranger on my password and I didn't want him to be representing me and my voice. So that was really sad. And I didn't like, I didn't have any other option. I had to have him and he had to be present during the time of signature and everything. That's very, very interesting. Well, you know, let's let's flip this now and talk about let's flip this to the positive because uh, House with Heart, it's uh, the the name says something. Can t t talk to me a little about what House with Heart provided you with in terms of not not just a roof but an education and about equipping you with the tools that find you now. If I'm right, you're in Vermont when I'm speaking to you. Yes, now, I am. Is it Norwich, Vermont? Is that right? Uh, I'm in Essex, Vermont right now, but I'll be going back to Northville, Vermont, where is my university, Norwich University. As you can see me, what I'm, I'm up as a person is because of House with Heart. Like, I have a voice. I can go out and be a voice to a female or, like, people who doesn't have a voice now. And I think it's all credit to House with Heart because I had the education. I had opportunity. Along with that, I had a family that was loving. And I never felt abandoned. You were talking about going, uh, your experience at a high school one time and seeing somebody your age laden down with, with three kids. So I think it's important to, to, to establish um, it's a house where you all live, but um, there's also a, a life outside the house, correct? In terms yes, of growing up there? Definitely. It's like, so by our, like, I don't remember if you noticed or not, there was a factory, like carpet factory, right next to our house when you, were, you visited Nepal. So like 10, like five minutes walk from our house, you can see this factory and there's a lot of people who are not educated and they are bought from a rural area in the hope of giving them better life, but they end up having kids and you walk outside of the house with heart 
and you see these kids with no shoes, no clothes, just playing outside in the mud, no supervision, no one is supervising because everyone is busy during their lives. So obviously that was a big thing because we walk, we walk into house with her, we're safe, secure, and we, everything is given to us. But when we walk out, we see this and, um, and we, House with Heart also does an explanatory job of giving education to people. So there is a, is it called Beverly Bronson Center, where kids from the community come to House with Heart to get education. And they are provided with food. And they also give money monthly, I believe. And they're given clothing and showers so that they can have some kind of like little education. Great. And this may be a, a something for me to ask uh, Colleen about, because while you are, um, while, while House of Heart was established to take in abandoned children, my understanding is that you also have adults living in the community, because as we establish, it's not only um, the, the children who can be abandoned, the mothers can be abandoned. And Colleen, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Well, <clears throat> the way that I can speak to that is, uh, with, how, you know, how do you, how do you do this house of 28 children? Uh, it takes staff to, to help with cooking and cleaning and uh, and training the women in a skill and, and teachers. So we provide a salary to fam women um, so they can su then support their own children. So again, they don't have to, they're not set up with that desperate choice of, I can't, I can't help my children. Um, so we do have an on-site uh, auntie who is our children's supervisor. We have a co-manager, uh, Hem, who has been with us since day one to, to help run the operations of House with Heart. Uh, we rely on our children. You know, I, I heard Manu say that they were given everything. Well, let me tell you something about them get, giving everything. They, they had to work for everything they did too, not in a, in a child slave labor way, but that many children, these, these young kids are so resilient that they, you know, at a certain age, probably at about seven, they're responsible for doing their own laundry outside. We don't have a dryer. We don't have a washing machine. It's by hand. So that everyone has to chip in. And that, that's part of what makes it a family. To put some numbers to the situations we're talking about, according to a UNICEF report from 2012, only two-thirds of girls attend secondary school in Nepal, compared to just three-quarters of boys. By the time they're 18, 40% of girls are married, many of those, as Manu testified, with multiple children already. As many as one-third of children aged 5 to 14 are working, with children as young as five indentured. According to the 2016 Nepal Demographic and Health Study, some 5 million people out of a population of 30 million are undernourished, with some 50% of households either mildly, moderately or severely food insecure. And while things have improved in Nepal, life expectancy has doubled in the last 50 years to about 70. Conditions are still very, very difficult. Nepal is ranked 195th in the world for GDP, and even now, only 60% of adult females are considered literate, which perpetuates the difficult cycle for women that House with Heart seeks to change. We do as much for as many as we can. That was one of Beverly's things. We can always do more. We can always find ways, and with the proper resources, 
uh, we that is our top mission to, to provide education, not only to the likes of Manu and the rest of the kids at the house, but to the women. Um, because it is a patriarchal society there and not one that really honors women. And I am so proud of Manu and Kamala and Benita and all the other young adult women now who recognize their privilege, if you will, uh, that they've had and have a calling to go back and give back and to give young girls and women role models and to try to start tackling that patriarchy. Right. Very important. And it gives me a good chance to, uh, I, I feel that Manu, you've probably been asked this question a lot in your couple of years in the, in the States, uh, that people must say to you, you know, describe Nepal, what's Nepal like? Yeah. So surprisingly, people think that they know a lot about Nepal. Obviously, Vermont has a lot of snow. So I told them I've never experienced snow and everyone looks at me like I'm crazy. And this guy was saying like, I did a full research in Nepal and there's snow throughout the year. And I'm like, come on, I live there. And he was so stubborn and determined that he was like, no, I'm right. And I told him like, why don't you go home and do a research and come back to me the next week? And he said, okay, I'll do that. The next week he came back and he said, sorry for my arrogance. And I said, yeah, I bet you are sorry. <laughs> Cause I was like, you cannot put me down because that's my that's where I grew up so and I told him like it's a beautiful country you can I, you have traveled it and you know like you have a first-hand experience of Nepal um it's not always bad like what we have described before it's a beautiful country people are really nice and very helpful in communicating like if you need help they're always there and there are a lot of like if you wanted to go hike somewhere, you have opportunity to do that hike. And if you want to learn about culture, like expect, you have this culture expect where you can go to this place and you know the entire history of it. And I think Nepal is very uh, fortunate to have all these different languages, culture, and which makes it a rich and power, like rich country with different cultures. It's um, people tend to think because they might know that uh, Mount Everest is uh, is officially based in uh, you know officially resides in, <laughs> in Nepal that it's going to be all snow and mountains, but obviously it rises up from the valleys of northern India, and uh, there's a multitude of climates, a multitude of ethnicities, a multitude of languages. Um, you know, China on the north and uh, um, India on the south. And um, yeah, it's a, it's re it, it really is very, I, I have to say, I found it both the most fascinating, the most beautiful, and in many ways, the most infuriating country that I visited on our travels. It's a very young democracy and government there is a, is a problem and it's poor. Um, and although, yet, although it's poor, I, I mentioned about uh, Babu having a computer in his tent to make music and, and people sometimes equate, they have a picture in their head of what they think poverty is, but you, but, you know, Nepal is rich, not only culturally, but it's, you know, it's worth establishing that people have, you know, there are, there are facilities that we're used to all around the world and you have them in Kathmandu that might put parts of America to shame, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, people do mistake about like, hope like thinking that they don't have any tvs or like refrigerator and like you know government is pretty advanced than what you think but i i personally experienced when i had an opportunity to go to like different spot like i did go to chitong national park they do speak Nepali, but in a different way like they have some weird like different words that they use and i think it was really fascinating and i 
believe that all the foreigners is coming there are very fascinated by the culture and language and people. So talk about fascination. I'm fascinated by how you ended up um, uh, coming to America to study. Um, I'm doing nursing here in U.S. because uh, in Nepal, it's not practical. Like I have nursing degree, but they won't be respecting me as a nurse. And growing up, learning from a woman who stands for herself and who wants the same respect as a man in the society. Uh, pushed me towards to think about what I want or like how do I want to live a life so I wanted to go to a place place where women are treated equally as men and see my profession nursing as a really good job rather than just like oh yeah this this is a nurse that wipes people butt or like cleans the room and just the normal thing but um, I want to do a nurse practitioner after I get my nursing degree and Nurse, nurse practitioner is not a degree in Nepal. So, because they want nurses to work under control of men, doctor. This has always been my dream, but I would get a nurse practitioner and go back to Nepal and do something for the community. Would that community that you would go back to, would that be specifically, are you talking about like House of Heart or are you just talking about going back to Nepal to try and give back to your home country? I, as I told you about the story about the female who was holding three babies who was my age. So I want to specifically focus on reproductive education and um, House with Heart has a wellness center. And when I am back in Nepal, I would love to go and be a part of that wellness center where I can educate women. And not only a woman, I want to focus on men and the family so that this change starts there. And I have a... I am really ambitious about what I want to do in life. So I would love to travel into different parts of the, like the country, like the world and help people just in general. While it may sound right now that we're immersed in a total success story, it needs to be said that the United States did not make it easy for Manu to come and study. Um, so I had to apply to the visa, um, the embassy, and I had to go through a process of doing the interview and all and I went in the interview and they were just looking at my file and they were like, sorry, you're not qualified or something like that. And I'm like, it feels so bad. Like I was deeply hurt about it because I thought I was good. <laughs> and I thought I was outstanding. And then I did it again. The second attempt failed. And I was at the point where I was like, I'm done. Like, I think I'll just get education here and then see what happens. But my mom was very determined and she said, you got to fight this. And give it the last maybe third time is a charm and so I said okay I'll do this again so I went and but I still I had a help from um, House with Heart I definitely have House with Heart help throughout the process and till now they are paying for the education and I'm having this practical education because back in Nepal they're mainly focused on memorizing all the stuff and do not involve in the process practically that was your, your experiences with the embassy, I'm assuming, were in Kathmandu? Was it in Kathmandu? Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And was that really to do with them saying there's not room for you in America or that you weren't passing a test? If I, I just... They didn't say there was, there was no room for me, but I think they thought that I won't be coming back or like I would be just going there to stay or like won't be doing my education or something like that. What their, what their policy is is again against women the it, the idea that manu would come here and her only intent would be to get married so she could stay here 
had nothing to do with her professional ambitions to going to nursing to give back to the world. Um, so she was headed for a hard no. And uh, I have experience in government. I'm retired military. I also worked in the White House for a period of time. So I kind of know that you don't always have to accept no. So I contacted um, both Senator Gillibrand uh, of New York, uh, because our charity is based out of New York, and also Senator Leahy in Vermont. And both of those senators came, uh, came uh, shout out to both of them uh, for seeing the forest through the trees. Uh, Manu's letters that she had written, her letters of references had written clearly indicated that this was a young girl and young woman who has the right to achieve her own uh, own opportunities in life. Again, it's that patriarchal lens that you assume that a woman from Nepal, going back to you know what we think of Nepal is, that women have no voice. Of course they do. And it's time that they have it. I agree. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. When I was pre uh, preparing notes for this, I was just found myself thinking that if uh, one allowed, well, let, let's, let's, let's allow that the US is meant to be one of the richest countries in the world, and it's meant to have a great education, and, a, and it's meant to have a great health system for those who can afford it. Why would it not want, uh, why would it not benefit from taking in foreign students who would come here to learn the skills that supposedly we have here, who could then take them back to their home countries. I mean, I just, I cannot, you know, I cannot figure why that would not be a good thing for for this country. So I'd love to ask now, how do you how do you find living in in the states? <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful experience. I got this opportunity to experience this new culture, and definitely, I was very shy to begin with. I did speak English, but I always had this insecurities of like people not understanding me or like they won't get what I'm saying. And uh, the first step for me was to walk out of my comfort zone and say, you got to do this because you're all the way here and you're brilliant on this. So I just remember my mom saying, walk like you own the place. I exactly did that. And um, I was connecting with more people and I was trying to grab this idea of like how to create my own image here in the United States or like have a life here. And uh, the one of the thing was the food. It's very difficult. <laughs> the, the culture shock that I had was the food. And um, they eat a lot of junk food here. <laughs> yep. And I remember one time when I, this was the earliest time and I asked that I was kind of done with the frozen foods, like eating frozen, frozen food out from the refrigerator. And I asked them, can I have fresh vegetables? And they were like, okay, I'll, we'll get some vegetables. And the, the time when I come back from school and I said, are the vegetables in? And they were like, yep, they're in. And then I try to open the refrigerator and where are they? And they go like, in the freezer. I'm like, are you kidding me? Even the green vegetables are in the freezer now? And yeah, the food really shocked me because I was so used to eating fresh vegetables from the garden in House with Heart. Have you, how long have you been living in the States? And have you gotten to travel back to Nepal at all? No, I've been hearing... I've been here for three years, but um, one of the fear of going back was I want to be able to come in. That's one of my like deepest fear. Like if I go back, what if I cannot come in back? Then I'll be leaving my education and all this opportunity. So, and now with COVID nineteen, I won't be able to travel. So I've been here for three years now. Okay, and uh, do you do you feel like the states is 
kind of home i mean you must after three years does it feel like home yeah um i'm i don't drive so vermont is pretty small for like there's not a lot of public places but i do a lot of hikings and i keep myself busy like going to the like finding the swimming holes and doing hikings and trying to get most of out of it during the summer because the winter is very long I was glad that during that conversation about food, you raised something that I did make a note about, which uh, gets us back to House with Heart and its um, self-sufficiency, the fact that there's a garden there. And, um, you know, the idea that this is more than just a, uh, a home that takes people in. This is actually about uh, providing you with the tools you know, to, to, to get through. So, yeah, they talk about some of the other things that are there at the house, the garden and, and music and other things that, that you grew up with. So... Uh, growing up, uh, we never called ourselves like an orphan, like an orphanage home, because we consider ourselves to be a family. And yeah, so it was a family living together. And we did like there is a gardener who comes every day to work on the garden. But we as a kid also did some work there. So we learned how to garden and like plant. It was the best thing when we planted seed and then later we, the carrots shows up or like the vegetables actually comes out. And I think that was a good learning process for us as a kid because you don't just try to get whatever you want. You should work on it. And um, obviously the music was a big part because mom, our mommy really loved music, drama and different things. So we had uh, a family night every Friday where people would participate on like dramas or like music. The kids from House with Heart would also be taken on outings of various kinds. Manu recounts one to a government orphanage, which revealed the life that might have awaited Babu and Krishna had Beverly not returned to check on their status after initially taking them to such an institution. I think she wanted to so show us how people are living other than house with heart. And it was really dreadful. Like, these kids, the babies were in one single room, three or five babies, no one supervision, no food, no milk. But it was considered an orphanage home and it was really sad. There was not a lot of toys or like nothing. And the caregiver was not very delicate with the babies. Like they were not very cautious, like how they were handling the babies. And that just like, she was really sensitive about how people were taking care of the babies. So we just walked out. She couldn't take it anymore, how they were handling the baby. Right. When we were visiting, I referenced earlier, it was uh, just around the first anniversary of the, of the earthquake and rebuilding was, was a very, very slow process, which, um, which it just was. So either of you, both of you, what, what does House with Heart now have in terms of buildings to provide people? We have a compound. We have a, a large main house, which was um, seriously structurally uh, harmed by the earthquake, earthquakes. Um, but it, in, in that, we had also opportunity. You know, you talk about good news, bad news, negative, positive. We were able to fundraise and do a capital campaign to build a second building on this compound. So we have a large yard for the children to play in. We have large home because we have 28 children. Uh, but we also have those gardens that you were referring to. That was the genius of Beverly Bronson when she first began this, is to to make ourselves self-reliant in very stark conditions, to gr grow as much food as we possibly could. From the earthquake, we realized how quickly our supplies and food supplies ran out because we were helping our neighbors who didn't have that. Going through COVID, 
um, you, you know, food security has become an issue. So we are, we are now build, growing more organic food, potatoes, rice, cauliflower, broccoli, everything. Uh, at one point in time during COVID, we were totally self-reliant and able to feed our, our family uh, just by the gardens. Uh, so we're a self-contained unit. Doesn't mean that we are blinded to what's happening around us because we're certainly not. We are acutely aware of what's going in. We're currently still in lockdown because of COVID. So for now, House with Heart is on our compound. We, are, we have strict protocols. Uh, no one comes in, no one goes out. Uh, and it, it's, taken a, it's taken a toll, but again, our family is so resilient that keeping these children busy in online learning um, is something that we haven't even had to really discuss. We know we know how to we know how to exist. Wrapping this up, uh, how long? Um, how many more years do you have left uh, before you get your degree? Oh, I have two more years. I'm I will be junior in fall. I'm excited to go back and start working on this again. <laughs> right. And are you uh, actually at the point of interning yet in the states? Um, I would want to an intern after my junior year, and after my senior year, I can have a full one-year experience in the states of working um in the nursing uh, profession so i'm planning to have a nursing bachelor degree and then work for a year or so and get enough money to go for nurse practitioner and then go back to nepal and help the community and be some kind of help for house with heart well, thank you both of you for your time. I wish you the greatest of luck um, going forwards. I would love to, uh, uh, I, I, know I'll, I know I'll stay in touch with you about how things progress for you. I wish you success for the rest of your college time. I wish thank success you. for the house with heart. Hopefully we all get through the current status and um, namaste. Thank you for having me too. Absolutely. In closing out, let me just clarify a couple of things that may have gotten lost in the edit. For one, you may well have assumed correctly that after Beverly took in Krishna and Babu, House with Heart transitioned to being girls only. This was for legal requirements and also because, as I think has become self-evident, that women really do need the greater help. And House with Heart, again to clarify, does take in women who have otherwise been left to fend for themselves as well as the young abandoned girls. And on that note, you may have found yourself asking how Manu was able to track down her parents for her Nepali citizenship. Well, she and her siblings had been found in a situation where their mother's whereabouts were known, even though that mother was clearly not caring for the children. House with Heart, in the form of Beverly, took guardianship but stayed in contact, and in turn, the mother knew where to find the father of these three children when the time arose. This further clarifies something stated by both Manu and Colleen. That house with heart is a home, not an orphanage. There is sadly an industry in Nepal that traffics in what are called paper orphans, children sent to Kathmandu by their parents in the hope of an education, but who end up being put in private orphanages that then raise funds from well-meaning donors. Which makes the work of places like House with Heart all the more important, and serves to remind that you should always research a charity before you donate. And on that note, I really hope you will feel inspired after all of this to go online and visit housewithheart.org. There's a lot of information to absorb, so give yourself some time. 
The charity also has a few short videos up on the YouTube channel and presence elsewhere on social media. I would recommend that you sign up for the newsletter to be best informed. And naturally, I really, really encourage you to give anything that you can. A little money goes a long way in a country where the average GDP is about $2,700. I'd also encourage you to read up on Nepal and not jump to any conclusions one way or another. And you know, when the planet opens back up to travel, I don't think you'll find a more beautiful place to escape into nature than the Nepali trekking routes. My thanks to Colleen and Manu for their time. A big shout out to everyone either attending, working at or supporting House with Heart. And a massive namaste with respect and gratitude to the late Beverly Bronson, whose own life certainly enriched others. On previous episodes of One Step Beyond, I've gone into a proper second section at this point, usually a field report from the outdoors. We've had some fun running features that I hope form a little bit of a progressional guide to the activity. Well, no such report this time, in part because I really wanted to give room for Manu and Colleen to tell their stories and for me to give mine about visiting Nepal four years ago, and also maybe just to slow down the process a little bit here in the middle of summer. At my end, I managed to get away for three nights, for the first time, not just since before lockdown, but since December 31st. For my break, I only went as far as Rhode Island, another first, the first time I've ever been there as a destination. I took the same younger son who came round the world, and we stayed at a lovely motel that had a solar-powered swimming pool and sat on a large pond with three canoes, kayaks and paddle boats. There were four beaches and two nature reserves within easy drive, and businesses were highly responsible in serving customers during this difficult time. And the customers, in turn, seemed highly responsible in masking up. I could easily have spent more than three nights out there, but I'm just glad I had the opportunity to get away. I enjoyed spending more time in the water than usual. Maybe I wasn't quite so thrilled to get sunburned, but hey... Before I was bald, I was blonde, so it's somewhat inevitable. I think most of us this summer are making do with either staycations or the kind of short trip I just took, and that's okay. Let's get humanity back on its axis before we go either jetting and or backpacking around the planet again. It hasn't been all relaxation, though. If you tuned in two episodes ago and heard me talking about the Escarpment Trail run, on the final mile of which Dick Vincent ran us through some simple trail racing paces. Well, the annual race may have been cancelled at the end of July, but I'd trained for it in the hope it would take place anyway. And so, rather than let that training be in vain, then on Saturday, August the 1st, I ran the race. I mean, I ran the 30-kilometre course, which has 5,000 foot of climbing, most of it in three rather intense bursts. But I did so unsupported. There were no aid stations, of course, and I went with just a camelback full of water and whatever snacks I could fit in. It was a really interesting experience. I ran solid for three hours, about two-thirds of the course, and then I ran out of steam on that final third, 
and without the clock at the finish line, without other runners around me, either to race against or even just chat with, I couldn't really find the motivation to stay inside the pain threshold once I inevitably hit it, and I allowed myself to take my foot off the gas. I finished three minutes the wrong side of my slowest ever time, but considering the extra weight I was carrying and that lack of motivation and aid stations, that was fine by me. I felt like crap for about 15 minutes after finishing, but a dip in North Lake, a hot shower courtesy of the campground facilities, and I was right as rain. I mean, my legs still feel like iron girders five days later, but I'm happy I did it. And I hope that in your case, despite all the challenges COVID-19 has brought us, you're finding your own outdoor adventures, and that you are, as I finally did, getting a few days to also just treat yourself to some relaxation. This episode of One Step Beyond was written, produced and narrated by Tony Fletcher. Incidental music in this episode was revealed in this nature by Noel Fletcher. The theme song One Step Beyond is by Madness, used with their permission, and the logo is by Mark Lerner. You can reach out to us at onestepbeyond at ijamming.net I-J-A-M-M-I-N-G.net. You can also find us on all social media. Just search One Step Beyond Podcast. And our website is buried over at acast.com. All these links will be supplied in the show notes. And if you are listening online, please know that you can subscribe and download on just about every podcast platform known to man. It's always great if you want to leave a positive review. And it's especially great if you want to reach out. Whatever you're doing in the world, peace.